So it's been good to share these weeks with you and um, just to let you know kind of what's happening with us. Uh, we're going to head west. We've got a daughter in Santa Barbara, California, and uh, she's our youngest daughter, and she also is the mother of our youngest grandchild, and so we've been putting this trip off a little bit, and we're going to make it happen. So if you think of it, there's a lot of miles between here and Santa Barbara, California, so pray for us. So we'll travel a little bit, and uh, as God gives uh, opportunity, we'll stop in and see you once in a while. It's been good to make some friends here. Hearts on fire, that's the message title. Now, if you're wondering what that means, if you've ever had heartburn, you know it, right? Nah, that's not what I'm talking about. So let me lose one little story that comes from the life of the famous Methodist preacher and theologian John Wesley. A young preacher, in his uh, acquaintance and awareness, was complaining. He said, uh, my people aren't uh, faithful, they don't show up all the time, uh, they don't like to volunteer for things, they go to sleep when I preach, and he's complaining, 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 and John stops him and says, young man, if you will get on fire for God... People will come just to watch you burn. That's the kind of fire I'm talking about. Where it's a spectacle, I suppose. Not a spectacle aimed at ourselves, but that they serve a God who is a God who draws us into the fire of his warmth and of his zeal for people and the love of God. Now, there's a little quote I want to use this morning and focus on, not right away, but here's the quote. It's usually attributed to Mark Twain, although Twain experts say no. Who knows? It goes like this. The two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. Now, to illustrate this, think of Moses. He's 80 years old from his birth date, and he's 80 years from that time until he finds out why. That's a long time to wait for a fulfillment to who you really are and what you're meant to be. I hope you all have a story like that, but I, I'd like for you to at least reflect on what God puts us here to discern and why is a big one. I'm going to use a lot of thoughts about questions today. Why questions, but also questions God addresses to you and me. So we're in the Lenten period. It's those roughly 40 days between Ash Wednesday, as some observe, until Good Friday and Easter. And we do some things that are meant to draw us closer to God. We are called to do disciplines. We are called to do acts of service, uh, penances of various sorts, remembrance, sacrifice, self-denial, all of these things, preparing ourselves for what Jesus did on Good Friday, offering himself up as the uh, sacrifice for our sins. And so we're called to do the same thing. And we've got five more weeks. But it is uh, five weeks, but the whole Lenten period is meant to be waiting and observing and disciplining ourselves that we might uh, fully appreciate what God did for us. I don't know about you. I don't like waiting. I am rather impatient. Uh, you might think, uh, oh, these pastors, they're so nice. I can be as impatient as anybody. 
I can tap my foot at the microwave. Come on, come on, come on. I don't know if you do that or not, but I'm impatient enough to even get impatient with the things that are speedy in ways that I never experienced when I was a kid. Well, we wait. How we wait is what I want you to think about. I'd like to suggest we wait expectantly. In other words, we have a reason to wait. There's hope. Well, that's Lenten, period, waiting for the celebration of Easter. And what a great celebration it will be in five weeks. But now we wait expectantly. We also wait purposefully. How many of you have read Rick Warren's The Purpose Driven Life? Get your hand up. Let me see him. Yeah, the majority of you. It's a great exercise. I don't know why I didn't think of it. Rick hardly says a thing. All he does is quote scripture. But that's not a bad thing, right? And so why has that book been a bestseller across this nation with, and around the world with both Christians, believers, and unchristians? Because people are looking for meaning. So we want to wait purposefully, hopefully and purposefully, learning from God how to be closer to Him. And one of the ways we are going to discover that is true is how God comes into our lives to ask a question. God asks a lot of questions. You know, if I were in the presence of God, or at least if I had some preparation for that, I'd have my list. You know, what's the deal with predestination, right? Well, which is it? The free will of man or the sovereignty of God? I don't know. I can't figure it out. So I'd like God to answer that one for me, and he'll say yes. (laughs) It's both. I suspect, anyway. I don't know. But I've got all sorts of questions. Why do children suffer? Uh, Why is there war in this world? So I got my whole list of questions, and yet... I wonder if I were actually in the presence of God, those questions probably would cease to matter. But God does turn the tables on us and asks us a question too. You remember Job? Now, he's going to ask why because he's lost everything. He's lost his health. He's lost his wealth. He's lost his family. He's lost everything. And he cries out to God, why? What did I ever do to deserve this? And for 37 chapters, it's chapter after chapter of complaint. Why, why, why? And it's almost like God says, finally, I've had enough of this. And in chapter 38 of Job, they're going to project this for you. God speaks to Job out of the storm. And God says, who, notice the questions here, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. Oh man, I don't want to hear that one in the presence of God. I will question you, God says, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know, Job. Who stretched the measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? And who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? You know, that kind of interrogation by God goes on for four chapters. Question after question. 
humbling and maybe it's even better to say humiliating questions. What in the world am I complaining about is a way of Job's response. And finally, Job, humbled as he was, says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. So when we get on our high horse about uh, why the world or God or anybody is mistreating us, you might not want to have that direct confrontation with God that Job did. But it's good to ask questions. But it's more important that we learn how to answer the questions God has for us. If you've got a little corner of your bulletin, I'd like you to write down three questions that come right out of the Bible, right directly out of the Scripture, meant for every one of us to answer in our own way, in our own responsibilities. The first one comes from Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. Adam and Eve have sinned against God and they're in hiding and God comes calling in the Garden of Eden, Adam, where are you? Question number one. Now, if God is God, he knows exactly where they are physically. But Adam and Eve, where are you? What's happened? What have you done? Why are you hiding? Why are you afraid? And that's a question we all have to answer to God. Where am I? My life with God, with others, with myself even, where am I? Am I just drifting along? Am I wandering? Or am I finding a way that leads me through the life's wildernesses that I'm faced with? The next question, question number two, comes from Jesus. Now, he and his disciples are together just as them. No big crowds. But he asks them, who do men say that I am? And they volunteer some answers. I suppose the, the scuttlebutt that they've heard. Well, some think you're a prophet. Some think you're, you know... Jeremiah, Isaiah, one of the prophets. Peter pipes up and says, you are the Son of God. But Jesus has prompted this question, who do people say that I am? And that is a question I believe universally will be asked of all of us. Who do you say that Jesus is? We believe that Jesus is the key to everything, to life after death, to forgiveness of sins, to the meaning of life, to the understanding of what history is all about and how history is unfolding and evolving and coming to its conclusion. We live in an age that doesn't believe much of that stuff. But when the question comes to you, will you be able to answer, who do, who do people say that I am and what about you then? Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The third question comes out of the Scripture in Luke chapter 24, and I'm going to read a bunch of that, but this is the first day of the new life of the resurrection. Easter morning, the very first morning. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They think they're doing a burial. 
They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly, suddenly, now, if you're asking why, and if you're 80 years of age like Moses, and suddenly a burning bush appears, wow, I better pay attention. You know, I think to myself, would I have been Moses who was willing to draw near to see what this sight was? Or would I have said, man, i got to stop eating those mushrooms? <laughs> I don't know, but Moses had the good sense to follow his promptings that God had initiated with that burning bush. Well, when they entered the tomb, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, just like Moses wondered about the burning bush, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, these angelic men, here's the third question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Now, if you took a little inventory of your life, how much of it is spent living for things that are bound to pass away, that cannot last, that will not last, that have no value beyond maybe a thing at the moment? How many things do we store up? How many plans do we make for ourselves and our self-fulfillment? And these two angelic beings asking the question that all of us, I believe, need to answer. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? You're wasting your time. Invest yourselves in the things that God has, <coughs> excuse me, has in mind for you and that last forever. I want to show you a couple of pictures. Um, these are, this is of a good friend of mine, if you've got the pictures there. Ken there is on the right, and he's in Swaziland, and I've made that trip several times with him and others. Go ahead and show the second one. Uh, Ken has a big heart. And the reason I wanted you to see these pictures of my good friend Ken is his heart was broken when he visited Swaziland for the first time. Now, we were at a critical juncture of the church I had started from scratch in 1994 in suburban Harrisburg. And we had grown the church to about 250, and it was a building project, and the building project was finished, and we had moved in, but I thought to myself, I dare not let this congregation think that the building was why we existed. So we developed a strategic plan that said, okay, we've got a building, it's a tool, now what are we going to do with it? And so one of the things we said we're going to do is we're going to get engaged intentionally in international mission. And after some research, uh, we sent five people. I wasn't in the original group, but Ken was. And they went and said, is this the place? They spent about 10 days in Swaziland visiting missionaries and others. And they came back, and Ken's heart was broken. He couldn't even talk for about a week just weep. The poverty, uh, that would have been a time when the AIDS epidemic was just rampant in sub-Saharan Africa. Little children, very small children, being raised by grandmothers, living on their own. And Ken's heart was broken. 
And suddenly Ken found out why he was born. I think he's made that trip seven times now. But the vision has to come to us and we have to answer the question, why? Moses at age 80, Peter out fishing, nothing. Jesus says, throw the nets out the other side. They get this huge catch. Peter knows he's now in the presence of something way beyond human conception. And he says, get away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And Jesus says, never mind, Peter. We're going to go catch men. We're going to go fish for men. Follow me. Suddenly, Peter knew why he was born. Paul, the same thing, on the road to Damascus to do the Lord's work, to go find some of these rebel Christians that are causing trouble all over, and there on the road to Damascus, the light comes from heaven. He's blinded, but for the first time in his life, he sees, and he's directed into a life of service and following God. I'm going to take you back to Luke chapter 24. The road to Emmaus is the discovery of two men on the Easter, the first Easter, who are confused, they're wondering, they're not sure what has happened or why. So this is the same time these two men appeared at the empty tomb to greet the women. But later on, verse 13, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything they that had happened, and as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. So even though they're in the presence of the risen Lord, they do not recognize it. They are still living in pre-resurrection time. They're still living in a time when all of their hopes and expectations were dashed to Defeat. Jesus is dead, nailed to a cross. This stranger, as far as they were concerned, asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Note the question. You and I have to answer questions. What are you discussing? They stood still, their faces downcast. They're still living in their past. They're depressed. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And again, Jesus, unrecognized, asked, What things? He wants them to answer. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, He was a prophet, powerful in deed and word, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped... Now, I want you to feel the weight of that, the despair. We had hoped. But in their mind, they're still back when the hopes are no longer valid because he's dead, he's buried. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. 
Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Oh, what I wouldn't give to have a recording or a transcript of that little lesson from all the prophets in the scriptures about why the Messiah had to suffer. Well, that's what we're given as a challenge. It's all in our Bibles. You and I have to search it. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks, broke it and gave it to them, to give to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Suddenly, they knew the why. They knew the who and they were ready to follow him. They get up, they go back to Jerusalem to find the other disciples, and they exclaim, it's true, he's risen. I want you to have that experience. I'm going to close with prayer today. But I want you to have that blessed assurance that we sang about earlier of the why you were born. You're here. You don't have to be like the world is, wondering why you were born. When you seek, you shall find, Jesus promised. So my prayer for you is, in your waiting in life, are you discovering what God intends? Are you doing the things that discipline you for that? You notice the revelation came in the midst of what in essence was a reenactment of the Lord's Supper. He broke the bread, he blessed it, he gave it. They finally recognize. That's why you're here this morning. In the presence of God and his people and worship, God reveals himself. Now, he does it in all sorts of ways, but I want you to know why you were born. We have all sorts of issues in life. We wait with hope. Sometimes we wait with frustration. Sometimes we wait with pain. But we wait because we believe there is a purpose. What is God doing in your waiting? I believe he's preparing you. It took 80 years for Moses to get ready. I don't know how old Paul was when the Damascus Road experience happened. He's preparing us. He's creating within us a hunger and thirst for God's presence, God's leadership. And then maybe a full appreciation for what God wants to do in you and in me. So with that in mind, let me pray for you. Lord, this is my last day with these good folks. It's been a blessing of mine. It's been a joy to open your word. Lord, in this prayer time this morning, I want us to be reflective and I want you to be speaking to us about the whys of our life and sometimes the complaints of our life. And we reach out to you and say, well, Lord, why me? But while we wait for those answers, you're addressing us with some questions and some big ones, and we need to answer them. So I pray, Lord, that you'll come to us, show us your purpose, your will, 
Show us your why we are here. We're open to that. And sometimes when life has gone so terribly wrong, we're, we're upset and think that somehow we've, we've blown it or somehow we're being punished. And my suspicion is that's only part of the truth. The real truth is, is God is getting me and you and all of us ready for what comes next and to fulfill that why. So, Lord, this morning we are waiting upon you. Come and visit us and show us the why we were born. Just take a moment of silence and let your own prayer lift up to God this morning. Will you stand with me for the benediction? Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in everywhere, every way. The Lord be with you all. Amen. God bless you. It's been so good. If you want to shake my hand or talk a little bit, I'll be up here. If you want to come and pray, prayers will be up front. I've asked you to do that, so take advantage of it. God bless you. Go in peace.